And welcome to another episode of the Sartoria Geek Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, and everything in between. I'm your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance, coming back one more time. Of course, let's jump right into it with the download. Now, the time of this recording, we are knee-deep in the NBA playoffs. I must admit, I am not a humongous basketball fan, at least not like I was when I was younger. It's weird. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more out of watching uh, televised sports and being a humongous sports fan like I was maybe 20 years ago. I'm still a diehard O's fan and a diehard Ravens fan, but overall, just to be watching sports and basketball, to be watching it, I don't know. I've gotten out of that a lot um, in recent years. But with that, my download recommendation for this week is the perennial or perennial basketball title NBA 2K 2022. Now, I have been playing 2K since its inception with the Dreamcast, pull one out for the Dreamcast, but I'm recommending this not because of the microtransactions, not because they're still charging full price for this game. But because it is available via subscription on Game Pass, as well as I believe it's on PlayStation Now. Um, if not, it will be available as part of PlayStation Now or PlayStation's uh, revamped subscription service come June 13th when it officially launches. launches. So I'm recommending this based on the fact that if you're a basketball fan and you just want to go in and play it or simulate some games or just have, you know, a one-off, one-on-one game or three or three, I think you have three or three or anyway. Anywho, um, NBA 2K 2022 is available for download on Xbox Game Pass and I believe PlayStation Now and or Plus, however it works out there for the time being until the new service revamps and relaunches on June 13th. So that's my download for today. Now, I want to go back to the spotlight. And this is this is a collective uh, podcast that I've had interactions with over the past few months. And I've always enjoyed their content. I've had somewhat of a rotating cast over the past few months uh, with starting with some, some leaving, just... You know, branching out, spreading their wings. But this podcast particularly is the Grown Man Logic Podcast. And this podcast is aimed at building better people to build a better world through critical and logical thoughts. And I think that one of the things that have, that have attracted me to this podcast and the discussion in general is that in this past two years or so, in my opinion, with the pandemic and many of us being home and many of us starting to utilize these tools of communication whether it's youtube or instagram or what have you or facebook live to really start to talk about these topics we only talked about amongst ourselves uh in the case of say i talked about kevin samuels last week you know a lot of things he brought up were only things that men talked about amongst themselves and those viewpoints that they only expressed when it came to men but as well as women and our interactions with women and with that we we have seen a lot of individuals come forth with podcasts and live streams you know talking about things that we didn't necessarily talk about in the public before and in my opinion grown man logic and podcast is one of those places where you 
are able to hear frank, honest, and earnest discussions about issues that are affecting us. And I'm not sure if everyone on the crew is is married or what have you or dating, but it tends to be a little relationship heavy. There's some political talk. There's just more of a societal talk as far as where we are. And it's not all the time when it as far as the conversation skews toward African-American, African-American viewpoints and topics and stigma. Uh, but most of the cast are uh, African-American, so it kind of goes that way. But I think when we talk about certain segments, certain populations and issues related to them, you know, those things are overarching to our society as whole as a whole, at least in the, in the United States. I can't speak on Europe and other countries, but that's why I enjoy watching and listening and chiming in with my input during the Q&A periods uh, for the show. It's something I definitely look forward to when I'm able to sit down and and watch, whether it is via uh, Instagram Live or I believe there's a Spotify as well. I'm backlog on all of my podcasts I listen to, so I usually catch it when it's on Instagram Live. So I definitely recommend uh, checking out the Grown Man Logic podcast. I'll put it uh, in the show notes, especially uh, they are known for having very uncomfortable conversations. And I think that in today, the world we live in, we need to have more of those uncomfortable conversations to find a common ground with each and every one. So that is what I am recommending. Now let's get into the short takes. Now, it came as a surprise a few weeks ago that they made the announcement of who they had chosen, or I guess whom they have chosen, to replace Jodie Whittaker as the 14th Doctor. And the pick was one that I never heard of, uh, but of course... I didn't really hear, hadn't heard of Jodie Whittaker before she was picked either, but the new doctor is Nakuti Katawa, I think. Now, as I said, he's not an actor that I'm familiar with, but the most notable thing about him was that he is an actor of color as a, uh, I guess the term is African-born Scotsman. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the uh, nomenclature is uh, specified over there in Europe, but anyway, he's a black man. And, of course, that uh, definitely uh, got the world uh, up on end, both for good and bad reasons. But I'm excited. I have, even with Jodie Whittaker, I have always said that I enjoyed her doctor. It was just the stories and the circumstances that they put her in. I never fault those individuals that actually play the doctors because, frankly, they can only work with what they're giving. So I um, am looking forward to what happens with uh, Nakuti. Uh, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, uh, especially with um, Davies coming back on the helm. But even more so, it was a real that both David Tennant and Catherine Tate are returning to the show. And I can't wait. Now, whether or not this is a sort of one-off thing or their story is going to be so intertwined into the series as this is the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. It's kind of weird. It seems not that long ago that we had the anniversary special when Matt Smith was doctor and, and you had the war doctor and Rose come back. So it's time flies very fast. So I'm excited for this season or this series of Doctor Who when it debuts. I'm assuming by the end of the year, usually Doctor Who comes out. I don't know. Yeah. End of the year, maybe spring of next year. 
I think it's spring of next year, if I remember correctly. So we have to wait until 2023 to see this new Doctor Who. But I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. And let me tell you something I'm not excited. Resident Evil and Netflix. Now, I don't understand why you have these properties that have all of this lore, that have all these things that people love, and you take it and you do what the fuck you want with it and expect fans to like it. So I saw the trailer for for Resident Evil Netflix's new inspired series, and it's a cool looking trailer, but it's even Netflix. It's almost like they slapped the name onto some generic post-apocalyptic zombie show. I'll more than likely give it a chance when it comes out, but it just, uh, only because Lance Riddick is in it, and I've always loved him as an actor ever since The Wire, and all right, so moving past a trailer in a series that probably is doomed to fail, let's get on to one that I was shocked uh, at the time of this recording. It came out and I did not know it. And I saw it and I was like, wow, Marvel released a trailer for She-Hulk starring Tatiana Maslahi. Now, let me let me explain. When I've liked She-Hulk, She-Hulk has never been a character I've loved, but if you've ever seen Orphan Black, you will understand why I was excited when they announced that Tatiana Maslahi was starring as Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk. Orphan Black is such an amazing show, and not just that. She played at times seven to eight different clones, and they all came off as drastically different and distinct characters. That showed me what kind of acting ability that she has and that she can play any role and pull it off. So when it was announced, I knew she would be able to do it. And the fact that this trailer just hits on all of those notes, um, it's billed as a comedy. So you see a lot more of the comedic elements in there. And, and Tatiana could pull off the comedic elements. Orphan Black, while it had its serious tones at times, it is heart and its warmth and it had its funny moments as well so i know she's going to excel mark ruffalo as well as in there as hulk uh, we also have tim roth returning as emma blonsky the abomination and wong's going to be in there as well I, I will say my only concern is that the cgi with her transformation looks a little wonky but again this is a trailer the show doesn't come out until august so i would only surmise that it will be tweaked by the time the show is actually uh, released for mass consumption in August. But I'm definitely looking forward to She-Hulk when it comes out, and I just cannot wait. Now let's get into the reviews. If you've been listening for a few weeks, you know that I was very, very high on Halo in the beginning. I am a very big fan of the series, a very big fan of the lore, and I was willing to give the writers a lot of leeway when it comes to or when it came to the divergence that they were doing with the series. I understood a lot of it, especially in the beginning. As we got into these the back three episodes, because I believe that this last episode, episode nine, is the last one for the season. If I was reading collect correctly, I'm I'm hope that I'm wrong, but I think that's the case. Uh, these last three episodes were it's like all the goodwill they built up with fans in the beginning they just threw it out the window 
in this last episode was uh, nothing short of a slap in the face, I think, to all of us Halo fans, in my opinion. Now, some people, I saw a lot of people talking about the whole Master Chief losing his virginity in the episode before, which, again, I thought was pointless. I have no issues with sex. I have issues with sex when it's used as a cheap way of building connection between two characters, male and female. And I felt that is what was done with uh, Maquis and Master Chief with them being intimate in the previous episode simply because the show that they're connecting, like they're connected from this damn artifact and appearing on Halo in this mythical remnant. Like, what more of a connection do you need to show between them? Why does it have to build into this connection of them having sex? I don't I don't get it. I mean, all of those emotions that they displayed last episode and even this episode still would have been the same without them being intimate. That's why I say it served no proper purpose to the story and to building their connection uh, with each other. I will say this, okay, some some bright spots to the episode. I forget the young lady's name who's playing uh, Miranda Keys. I think this has been her best episode. I, I liked how she portrayed the character. I like what they gave her to work with in this episode, especially when confronting her mother. I like how Halsey has been billed to be this unscrupulous scientist that now nobody likes, and that was that's very akin to some of the things that played out in the series as well, um, the game series. So I, I'm, I'm feeling that the gentleman playing Admiral Keys, uh, I he's grown on me. I like what he brings to the role. I, I like the, the gravitas in general that he brings to the role. He has a very commanding presence. Uh, and even in a point where he took accountability, you know, you saw the real emotion there with him. So I, I really like that. <sighs> Let's get into Master Chief, shall we? I don't understand how they can screw up a character that is so iconic, that is so simple of an archetype. I understand you want to make this character more human, but there is a point in time where you have to know your boundaries of what this character is and how this character has been defined for 20 damn years. And they just lost that, especially with this last episode. I will say this. I, I love the special effects for the prophets. I love that. Everything else around that whole thing just looks looks janky. Uh, I've been using that word a lot lately. It's weird. But I felt as though with that last 30 minutes of the episode when they actually got to the quote-unquote Covenant home world and you had this big battle, there was just something lost there. It was too soundstage too CGI. Uh, there is something that that first episode where you had that battle where I felt the weight of the Spartans. I felt the strength of the Spartans. I got goosebumps when you we went to the um, visor and the, um, what, the HUD inside of the visor and everything. Like that felt like the game. Even the the just the energy, the motion, the style. When we got to this last battle, this last episode, it 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 felt. It reminded me of that first person mode from that Doom movie with the Rock. It just felt so forced. It didn't feel natural. And even the fight choreography wasn't that great. And the fact that we did not get a Master Chief that we know of until he died. Spoilers, sorry. Um, and Cortana took over. Can we just blow the fuck up out of reach now? I'm sorry. I'm using... I am very passionate about this because I love this lore of Halo and I'm tired of the human beings. I saw someone comment that 
the way that they're writing human beings and human culture is almost like you want to covenant the wind. And they're exactly right. The human beings and the human culture are not sympathetic. I'm watching the show and it's like, why would I want them to succeed? Why would I want them to defeat the covenant? There's nothing about this society that I think needs to survive. <laughs> Especially if these are the people that are running it. And they're absolutely right. So I am I'm looking forward. I if they don't start season two with the with the fall of reach, I won't be back. And and I'll 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 gladly watch cutscenes from the game on YouTube if I want my Halo dramatic narrative fix. Uh, that's where I am now because this is just a show that has taken so many divergences from the source material and it doesn't make any sense. Like the whole thing with, with Quan and the, the keep of the water and the portal that we saw a couple, like what does that have to do with anything? Especially if this is the last episode, like there's no conclusion, there's no tying into the main story. All of this has just been an exercise in futility in my opinion. And it's, I don't understand why people come on board and take these properties and feel as though they need to make drastic changes for it to appeal to a mass audience. This game has sold a hundred plus million games. We're talking about regular Halo games, the other Halo games, the uh, Halo Wars and stuff, even the mobile shit. You have an audience there. I don't understand why is it do you feel you have to change the source material and change what people want to see to make it appeal to a broader audience. I don't understand that. I really, I hope they course correct in season two. I really do. Because there's a chance, like I said, with, with, with the fall of Reach, that can be a humongous reset for this series. And I hope that they use that because getting to the Halo, what the Halo unlocks, that will totally change the dynamic of this series. That totally changes the threat of this series. It totally changes the drama of the series. And all of this bullshit from season one and what sort of subplots and whatnot will mean nothing if they keep on with those plot points that define the story of the game that's my take on halo episode 9 transcendence uh except there's some good things there there's some bad things there uh, there's promise in this series and that's only because of the source material i will watch a season two when it comes out but as season two is not one i will ride with till the end like i did season one all right that's my take on halo when we come back we are going to definitely get into a brighter side of sci-fi as we trek out with Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And we're back and let's talk about some, oh my goodness. We are three sep episodes into Strange New Worlds, excuse me, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, who those who don't know. And this show keeps getting better. I have to shout out to the writers. I love the fact that this show is episodic, not serialized, but it's still able to keep threads going throughout every episode especially when it comes to the development of their characters oh my the, the show made me like question like stand up on it like huh how'd that happen to get the answers later it, it gave so much more of a backstory to una number one that i've always yearned for like who is she what is she about you got all of those answers and then oh man you got this dynamic between 
Una and Leanne that you didn't see coming. You got Leanne addressing her heritage, her last name, as far as being Nooning Soon and dealing with the stigma of growing up having Khan as an ancestor. All of the questions that we want answered from these characters about who they are are constantly getting answered as they are in the midst of solving this problem. Now, with this episode, we, in this way, it's kind of standard uh, form for Star Trek. You go down to a planet, way team comes back, and there's some sickness that they have to try to figure out and ascertain um, before it takes over the ship and ultimately destroys the ship. You know, basic plot device. We saw this in TOS with Naked Time. We saw this in Next Generation with Naked Now. And now with Ghosts of the Elorians or yeah, Ghosts of the Elorians, we see a similar thing happen, but it's not a same like drunk thing. It's all of the characters, all of the ship becomes infected with this illness that makes them want to be in the light they get like a euphoric high from being like so light becomes like a drug and through the course of this story you find out the revelation that una is an Elorian who have been banned and shunned by the federation because of genetically genetic modification and of course that puts her that revelation puts her at odds with leanne because of her heritage she's growing up despising augmentation now love that character dynamic and that further fleshing out of the characters but what got me was the end and the revelation of dr mbenga and how his secret is what really even allowed the disease or the illness to get on board after the transporter the team came back through the transporter and the fact that he has a terminally ill daughter and he's been holding her pattern in a transporter in hopes of trying to find a way that one planet he will go to that he will find a way to save her i cried because i felt that emotion i felt that pain and that was amazing the the little five minutes that you got of the story the emotion that was there that the heart that was there this is a series that is just hitting on all cylinders every single episode every character gets a chance to shine in even the most small and minute ways and it's beautiful chapel got her chance to shine even spock and kirk not kirk excuse me uh i'm jumping years ahead but uh pike on the planet and what they you got pieces of the puzzle from each character's sort of circumstance to tell the overall story and that it was it's absolutely wonderful storytelling this is a crew that i care about and it's not because it's the enterprise it's not because it's a mix of familiar and new it's because the writers are making of giving us stories where we give a damn about these characters about who they are about how they got there it's not a one-man show and that's what i'm really really enjoying about star trek strange new world so if you are not watching it you really should now moving on from my favorite pastime of talking about star trek let's talk about style and it's getting hot out there y'all and when it starts to get hot that means it's time for seersucker what is seersucker you say you know when i was growing up i always heard about seersucker and it's like seersucker just sounds like such an 
odd word, especially when it comes to style and something that you wear. So I, I had to do my research years ago when I was getting into styles. Like, what is seersucker? Well, let me tell you what seersucker is. Seersucker is a thin all cotton fabric. So you purchase anything seersucker, it should be 100% cotton. It's commonly striped or checkered. And it's used to make clothing very typical for the spring and the summer. So the word actually came from came into English from Hindi of all languages and it originates from the Persian words of shir o sikur meaning milk and sugar. Uh, probably from the resemblance of the smooth and rough stripes to the smooth uh, surface of milk and bumpy texture of sugar. So that name comes from that wavy, bumpy texture of seersucker, which makes sense when you think about the origins of it. So seersucker is woven in such a way that the threads bunch together, giving the fabric a wrinkled appearance in places. This causes the fabric to mostly hold away from the skin when worn so this allows for that conduction of air so you are not stuffy and hot and airflow moves in and out so it improves heat dissipation and air circulation it also means you don't have to iron it um, i personally uh, love seersucker i don't have any seersucker in my closet now i had a, a very beautiful white seersucker jacket a, a while ago but that ended up um, getting destroyed long story anyway it was um, nothing bad. It's just fabrics. It wasn't that well made as far as its quality is concerned. It just, you know, one thing happened and then it just wasn't any good anymore to wear. So, but Seersucker is really a great style to have in the summer. I like it because I'm all about statement pieces and standing out. And not standing out for the sake of standing out, but standing out as far as being who you are and being unique. And one of the things about Seersucker is that even though it's it's it is what it is, the the patterns, the checkers, the waves, you know, no two men wearing Seersucker look like in Seersucker. It looks totally different, and I love it. And I just love the sort of the lack of formalness. You're you're still looking dapper, but there's a playfulness in my opinion about Seersucker. There is a back home, country porch sort of attitude about seersucker that i love uh and just the sort of vibe you get from it as well so that's this tutorial slice for this week we're just talking about seersucker do you own any seersucker let me know leave a comment e email me at info at webstyle.com now let's get into the fragrance of the week now this week's fragrance is another one from the house of chris collins and this one is sweet taboo it retails for $225. I believe it's a 50 ml bottle. I'm not sure. I didn't have the uh, size or the quantity listing on the site, but it retails for $225 and it's an EDP concentration. Let me tell you off the bat before I get into the description and the notes. It lasts all day and all night. Uh, it It's I absolutely loved wearing it. Let's get into this. It's from their dark romance line and it is described as a warm an inviting fragrance with a wink the scent will become an obsession i totally get that it is if you put a a wink or describe the wink as a scent yeah i definitely get it from that one so it's inspired to break taboos in search of pleasure it has gourmand notes like coffee 
cardamom and vanilla to create a seductive atmosphere um, it also does that very well i would say i i get the seductiveness that they're trying to really convey with the gourmand notes so let's get into the top notes top notes you have clear sage cardamom and cinnamon so you you get the gourmand and then the spice of the cinnamon i always like cinnamon because it's it's a a earthy spice to me so i i love how that smells on my body especially in a top note like this and with the sage as well so typically a lot of fragrance i've been talking about have had those very citrusy openings so this is drastically different from those and then with heart notes of geranium cacao and coffee i don't get the coffee as much um, as i probably would have normally i think it's something about the mixture of the heart notes the coffee isn't as pronounced i kind of get it hint wise but i get more of the geranium than the coffee from my note and then base you have that benzoin siam tonka bean vanilla and musk and this is where a lot of that seduction comes into play that romance it's weird because i wouldn't necessarily think of this fragrance as a dark fragrance but i totally get why it's in a dark romance line uh especially with the coffee and the cacao and then as it really melts into those base notes that tonka bean that vanilla and that musk and i think it's one that i would say underrated but i don't think you will once you spray it on especially with the opening i think that you many people will get fooled and and that you won't really get a good as great of an impression of it you're like oh you're pretty you spray it on like oh this is nice it smells good but then once it starts to really mature over the day and those base the heart and base notes are revealed that's when you're like oh man this is good this is really good so top notes is like it comes off as it's okay it's nice but as it really matures on your skin that's when it becomes like man this is a banger i see exactly what this description is talking about so that's my take on sweet taboo by chris collins and what i'm wearing today is my old favorite signature uh poor home from zaharoff this is a great uh spicy woody fougere scent and it's one that I pick up all the time. If I don't know what to wear, I put that on and I can't go wrong. And I got a couple of compliments already uh, just based on wearing that. So you can't go wrong. Speaking of fragrances, you know, one of our sponsors is Pete and Pedro. And while they're known for their hair care products, they also have a wonderful line of inspired fragrances. In this case, they now have five inspired fragrances legend which is inspired by tom ford's fucking fabulous uh villain which is inspired by tom ford's tobacco vanilla king which is inspired by creed's green irish tweed rebel inspired by creed aventus and then hero inspired by aqua de joe and all of these are 50 ml edp concentrations and they all run just 49 dollars for a bottle which is less than a dollar milliliter which is a wonderful get for these great fragrances and if you act now use the code ehawks10 or the link below and you can get 10% off your first purchase so that's my fragrances that's my take um one new added item though i am really grateful and i feel humble at 
all of you to listen on a weekly basis, all of you who have reached out on social media to tell me uh, what you think of the program. So today I want to announce that I am starting a Patreon for Sotorian Geek Podcast and just Webster Style in general. Uh, for those of you that like to maybe contribute with your hard-earned cash. And that three tiers is pretty inexpensive. With the first tier, the associate producer, you pretty much get access to the Sotorian Geek Podcast the day before anybody else, as well as getting your name or IG handle, however you want to be uh, attributed uh as a patron in the show notes so that's tier one tier two three dollars to produce a role same as the producer but you also get mentioned on the show so i'll you know mention you directly on the show here and everyone and you also get access to uh the recordings of my new program sartorio sundays that i do on the wisdom app so that'll be there as well and then with tier three you're going to be able to get all of that in addition to um, exclusive video content as well as recordings of my new patreon only podcast off topic webster style where i go a bit outside the bounds of some of the things i talk about here so that's that the link is in the show notes and like i said even just your listenership i appreciate all of the support that i've gotten from the community thus far so you can also find me outside of all those places every week on the NRW Nerds with the World with the NRW Checkpoint where I am talking about games and this weekend games every week. My man Brian Saff, find it there, find me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Webster Style, also on Instagram at Sotorian Geek. Also find me now on TikTok at underscore Webster Style. Of course, if you want to email me, feel free to drop me an email at info at WebsterStyleMagazine.com and of course, anything and everything Webster Style can be found at WebsterStyle.com. So I thank you again for listening. And again, remember, stay safe out there and be blessed. Had to be Bowtie Thursday. Had to be. White Wednesday? Uh, I don't know. Well, I know last time. Well, I wore polka dot. You didn't wear. Oh, I million them hills killing them. But I'm sure it's a Thursday. Bowtie Thursday. Pasta cream in your heels looking sharp. They acting like you don't know the rules up in the workplace. Must I remind you it was till on your birthday. Don't get me wrong. I think we killed in the birthdays. And you picked the hell of fit for the church day. Let's say you picked the risk game. Oh, it's killing. Like- now you got the floor filled with bras that you purchase. Pick a color scheme that can match the very corset. Yeah.